So, uh, Tom Liu, welcome to The Journey. And uh, uh, The Journey is uh, a show that we put together uh, actually 75 plus episodes ago. And uh, it is just a, an opportunity for, uh, for me to just talk to some individuals who have, throughout their life, they've had experiences in which they have either recreated themselves, uh, transform themselves either through some type of struggle. It could be anything from mental illness to addiction to uh, suicide, or maybe they found themselves in a career that they outgrew and they needed to do something different. But nonetheless, they have had setbacks and they found a way to fail forward. They, they found a way to transform themselves. And, and really, this show is about how to capture um, that experience and those stories, and how can we learn from those things and pass that on to someone else? So, uh, so Tom, we've known each other for like we were just uh, just the other day talking for a long time. I mean, going yeah. all the way back to to seventh grade uh, in middle school, and uh, and all the things that uh, from football to to girls and all the things in high school and college. Um, but we'll get into that in a little bit. But um, so so. Uh, if you could, just for the for the people that are, are listening, what does Tom do when he has an opportunity to have fun? What does Tom do for fun? Wow, for fun. Okay, well, Kevin, thanks for having me. First of all, yeah. on the on the show on the journey, I I'm a fan of the show, and I I remember before you even started it, and then you got into it, and you started in all the guests, and I've seen many of the episodes, and uh, it's just really great what you're doing, and so many great people you've had on, uh, and their stories are amazing, and so I'm honored to be here. Um, you know, fun, wow. It, you know, you, you told me right before we started you were going to ask me that, yeah. and I'm debating on what I'm going to say. Uh, you know, I'll tell you two things. First of all, and it's true, even though it might sound like it's not, all the work that I do is actually fun for me. I, I love what I do. I've been able to create a, a career, if you will, in different ways that all together uh, works together. And it's a lot of fun for me. It's a lot of work. It's hard work, like everybody's careers are. Uh, but I, I love doing it. And I've been able to put the pieces together to you know, be able to do that. And so all of that together is, is fun, which we'll talk about some of it probably. But in addition, for fun, honestly, I'm outdoorsy. Uh, my wife and I, we, we go outside. We live in Florida now. I've you know, lived in Rockford my, most of my entire life until just a couple of years ago. And so now you know, we go outside, we walk, we ride bikes, take our dog to the beach, things like that, active things. Um, and one of the things that I do for fun too when I can, which hasn't been a lot lately, obviously, but uh, you know, I do photography and stuff, particularly or specifically concert photography is something that I fell into, believe it or not. Uh, anyone that knows me might be surprised at that, but I never intended to do that. Uh, and it just sort of happened. And that's a story in and of itself. But I love music. I love rock and roll and all kinds of music, not just rock and roll, country music, rock music, pop music, whatever. And I love playing it, creating it. And so that's always been a constant for me. And so now later on in life, uh, being a musician myself for uh, 30, over 30, 35 years, I don't know, long time, to be on the other side and to photograph uh, musicians and artists and things over the last 10, 10 years or so has been a really uh, a fun thing. It, it, something I didn't expect it to be so fun. Hard work too, stressful at times, but, but really cool. So sure. I, I like creating things, you know, so I guess the long, the short answer to my long answer is, is that I like creating and that's fun for me. 
Nice. Okay. Well, as as I reminisce and go back to how we met, right? We met in uh, playing football together, right? And 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 back then, middle school, you you know, most of us uh, we were three sport athletes, right? And mm. we we we'd be yeah. involved with either you know football for most of us, and then you know either wrestling or basketball, and then it was either track or baseball or or whatever may be going on in the spring. And, and I know that that was a, a part of your, uh, you know, upbringing in middle school and high school was, was sports, but, but you also very much got into music. When, when did the music bug really click and, <laughs> and, and, and what's the story about, you know, how that clicked, not just listening to it and appreciating, but playing. Yeah. Um, well, probably the answer is early seventies. Um, for me, I remember being really young and being, you know, enamored with the Beatles and all the bands of the day, the, the Osmonds, the Osmond brothers, Donny Osmond and his brothers had the band, the Osmonds and all of that stuff from that period. I was enamored with it from my first memory. I don't know why, just as a fan, as a listener, I couldn't believe the stuff I, I heard. And I was immediately captivated by not only just liking it, like everyone loves music and, and listens to whatever they like, but I was immediately captivated by how do they do that? How do they make that sound? How does that work? And just from a very a little kid, I remember I was, I used to write out the names of the Beatles on, on paper with pencils and I had the let, you know, the E's were backwards, you know, and, and all of that. I had these papers, I would write John, Paul, George and Ringo, you know, and I was just enamored with it. And that all, that just was my first memory. I don't know. And then that just continued all through. And then we get into, you know, when I got into my uh, adolescent years and everything, I, I took it from being a fan of it and uh, enamored with it to wanting to to play it you know before that I was pretending to be a radio DJ like a lot of kids I was recording myself on cassette tapes and doing the the top 40 countdowns and talking about all my favorite bands and artists I would tape it off the radio and I was you know saying I was a DJ at these radio stations in Rockford some of which I became I was able I worked I work on later and still to this day and all of that kind of stuff. And then I got into to learning how to play and I got into rock bands, you know, playing drums and all of that. And I just, I wanted to know how to create it. And I wanted to know how to create it, Kevin, because I wanted to, in my own way, at whatever level I could, uh, affect people in the way that it affected me, create something and then put it out there. And then other people went, wow. I really like that. That really, that means something to me that, that spoke to me. Mm -hmm. And I find a lot of value in that. And I wanted to do that too, if I could, to whatever level I could. And music was one of the first ways that I did that, uh, going all the way back, you know, 15 years old or whatever it was. And, and to this day, still, I still do it still create music. I still write music. I love it as much as I ever did. In fact, out of all the things I do, it's still my number one love. Mm -hmm. <laughs> still is. Sure, sure. Well, you know, I, and as I mentioned, you know, and as you know, I mean, obviously we have a lot of memories of, of playing sports together during those middle school and high school years. Yeah. And then as, as you know, we graduated in 86 and then you, you and Greg went immediately down to Illinois State. I, I stayed up because of bodybuilding, stayed up and continued going at Rock Valley and went to we went to community college there and did the bodybuilding thing. And then I joined you guys 
our junior year, our third year down there. And by that time, you guys had already formed a band, started playing. I think if I remember correctly, it was the second band you had down at Illinois State. Um, And, you know, the band that I, I don't, I don't fully think I realized I was going to be living with a rock band that our living room was the practice area. I don't think I fully knew that. Um, maybe you told me, but I, I don't know if I fully, you know, really heard that part, you know, but, um, yeah, yeah. but that was obviously a big, huge part of the experience. And, and I think, you know, the one thing um, I always had an appreciation for music, very similar to yourself. And then I took some music appreciation classes, which really elevated that. Mm. But, you know, one of the memories that I had specifically that junior year in college was that there was these, or at least how I took it, there was these rules around music being played when there were non-practice or non-party time. Like Really? Yeah, this and, is interesting to me. This is fascinating. I don't know that you've ever told me this, but yeah, I'm interested. Oh, what rules? Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it was like, I only remember us playing different forms of classical music and blues or jazz during either if we were studying um, or if, if we were doing stuff around the house. I mean, obviously, if there, we had people over, that was, you know, other music right Mm -hmm. and obviously when you guys were practicing that was the music you guys were practicing but i clearly remember you Mm -hmm. know uh different being introduced to a different level of understanding jazz um in different different aspects of jazz music blues music um classical music um you know if i end up you know because the (laughs) The first room I had if, was a, a modified porch, if I remember correctly, that was, was enclosed, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that didn't have heat in it, but um, uh, but it worked because it was small, so it worked, But uh, because I think I would use Greg's room uh, to study in because it had a desk in there if I wasn't going to the library, and I remember yeah. listening to George Winston and and mm-hmm. other, uh, you know, more, more recognizable um, or older classical music, right? But I, that was one of my memories of remembering that. Um, and, and the other thing I remember about when you guys played out was this, um, you would take, they were covers, and you guys would modify and change the presentation of, the, of music that was done by someone else, regardless mm-hmm. if it was Led Zeppelin or, or mm-hmm. Kiss or Mountain or whoever it may be. Um, but... It, it was Simon Bar Sinister's version of it, right? I mean, it was right. your, that which was the band's name at that time, mm-hmm. and and so I think those were the two of the. I mean, there was a thousand memories that I have from that time period. But regarding the music itself, those were some of the deeper appreciations that I got from being living with you guys um, regarding that piece. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Those are. I don't think you've ever told me that in all the years we've known each other about that. And I, I don't remember it being like a rule, but you're probably right to some extent, you know, we, it was a rock band. And so that was always what we would listen to it and play. But then I, I, I know I personally then and now, I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm huge into, you know, all kinds of music, but instrumental music, ambient music, you know, some called new age music, just 
all of that kind of stuff, classical stuff sometimes, and yeah, and different kinds of uh, jazz or R&B, whatever it is, because I always wanted to be exposed to as much as I could so that I could learn from it. Like I was saying earlier, you know, how do they create that? And, and, and anyone who knows like rock music knows rock music was born out of the blues in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was all a part of it. But yeah, listening to other styles of music was really important. Uh, and I, you know, I, might, I probably had something to do with, with that back then uh, when we were, when we were um, living there and doing all of that. And to this day, you know, I, I, I still, I, I still play that kind of music. I listen to that music for relaxation and when I'm studying or working and I need to concentrate and focus and different kinds of things. Although I, you know, on my shows and stuff, I, I talk to a lot of rock musicians and others, but that's predominantly, you know, who I talk to because I know the, those people. I know that genre well, so I have them on. But my interests are so uh, far outside of that as well, you know. And that's interesting that you remember that. Yeah, we it was those were crazy times, and um, you may have reconsidered moving in if you had known that the living room was the practice spot. <laughs> you know? Probably not. Probably wouldn't have reconsidered it. And 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 I I don't necessarily well. And in that case, for me, it was the first time I had lived outside my parents' home. I didn't know at all, you know, you know, what, yeah. what, you know, I think, you know, if I, if I think back, you know, outside of being with some, you know, uncles or, you know, family members, you know, staying expended extended period of time is when we would go to NIU for the football camps when we did that. And we had, you know, uh, room together during that time period. Um, yeah. and, uh, so, so it, it, it probably for me wasn't that aspect of adjustment because this whole adjustment to, going away to school was a big change, even though I had, you know, had, had been all over the country competing, yeah. I hadn't necessarily lived outside of, of the area. So there, it was, it was a whole different culture, a whole different it, thing. Yeah, it was. And at that point, like you said, you came and that was our junior year uh, that you had come down and then we lived together for the next two years uh, in two different places, two different houses. Right. That's how that went. And then, uh, but yeah, it was different. And, and you know, back, those were different days for me, obviously that was a long time ago. That was the, the mid eighties, late eighties. And so things were a lot different than, uh, uh, for me in good and bad ways, you know, you know, it was crazy as a young guy doing, we, we were crazy. We were doing crazy things. We were living that lifestyle, the rock and roll and all that goes along with it. That was just a part of my story. It's a big part of my, my story. And, as weird as it sounds and other people probably, you know, echo this, but I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, because it taught me a lot about me and I learned a lot and many years had to go by until I could understand what that meant uh, to, to learn from that and to get on the other side of that stuff right. today to also then, you know, inform a lot, of everything that I do today and have done for many years, you know, but I had to go through all that. And had I not gone through all that, you know, I, I would have been on a completely different trajectory, obviously all of us. And so I'm grateful for those days, even though they were hard. I know they were hard on you at times or hard on other people. We were hard on ourselves, but mm -hmm. you know, you grow, you live, you learn, you, you transform. And that's, that's, that's what happened. Absolutely. Well, and I, and, and that kind of goes into where I wanted to go a little bit is that, you know, it was a, it was a very unique time period and there was no, you know, we were, we were getting, <laughs> we were getting a lot of attention, um, uh, from this particular, uh, you yeah. know, student body, um, because 
I had just recently, you know, won the Mr. USA and I was in that whole fitness and bodybuilding world. And that's a whole, you know, that was still the eighties. So there was, that wasn't like a super popular type of thing. So that was a whole unique group of people. And then we had these long haired, uh, you know, rock, you know, hair band, you know, and all the things that they talk about, those two different groups were all mixed in our house. And when we would go out, those two groups were the groups that mixed. And I still have people come up to me that I know from, you know, uh, Tim Hare and, and Doug Livingston and those guys that, you know, were, uh, you know, were living there working, you know, they were bodybuilding or working out at that time. And then, uh, but then they, we, we, we coexisted, we worked, we lived together. Right. And, and that was a, it was all those things that uh, very much when people will look back in that time period, I'm like, yeah, they're not making that stuff up. That was really how it was. I mean, it was, it, it was, uh, it was those things, the good and the bad and the ugly of it. Um, For sure. You know, you know, it's interesting, Kevin, that really quick, the, you, you mentioned a couple of people there. I hadn't thought about those guys in a long time. And yeah, I remember those guys. And there, it was a whole different cast of characters in and around our, our house and our, and our lives then. And yeah, I, I've, I've always said, you know, there was, there was 20,000 people at, at Illinois State back in the late 80s. And, and, uh, and five dudes had long hair. And we all lived in the same house. And then we also lived with our, um, our, our great friend, Kevin, who was a, a bodybuilder and a champion bodybuilder. And he was our, our, our built-in security guard and all of that and all these things, you know, and it was just such a weird conflux of people. But I got to tell you, when I reflected on it all these years later, so grateful for that for a lot of reasons, because we had to learn how to really get on with so many different kinds of people, as you're alluding to, you know, we had to learn how to we went from our band went from being hated by the fraternities. They, they couldn't stand us. We were these long haired guys we were these obnoxious guys, partiers, uh, rock guys. And, and at the time, most of the fraternity guys were, you know, they had the clean cut look, they had the, the collared shirts and all this and that. We, we looked totally different. We had leather jackets and, you know, all, the whole nine yards and they hated us until they didn't until our band started to get more popular. And we started to play, at all the bars and clubs and parties all over the place at ISU. And then we started getting asked to play at the frat parties. And then we started, then we graduated up and started playing at the frat parties for a lot more people. And then they all started, they loved us then because we got to know each other and we right. realized, you know, we might look different, but we're really not all that different. And isn't that just a metaphor for so many things in life? Oh. We might look different, but we're not that different. We're just people We're we're going through the stuff and we're figuring it out as we go. And we're interested in what we're interested in and we can coexist and we can work it out and share the differences, but still share something in common as well, which in this case was music and fun and having a good time and enjoying all of that. And we did. And so that was really interesting to see how that all shifted in just you know, a, a year's time, really, you know, and that, that, that journey, that transition, it stayed with me uh, to this day. And to this day, when I, you know, interact with people and no matter where anyone's coming from, and it's no secret to anyone, we live in a world that's really divided, you know, and right. there's all kinds of stuff going on. And those skills that I think we got to learn, not because we set it up that way, it's just, that's just what happened, but they've become really useful even today, you know, in all these years. That's how I look at it anyway. And I talk about it like that a lot. So. You know, I, I think I think that's 
it's so right, especially as we reflect back on it, is that, yes, there were certain things that, you know, uh, regardless if it was, you know, me with bodybuilding or, or you with long hair and, you know, the, the, the look, you know, type of thing, that's not necessary to say that we knew exactly what it's like to be of a minority race, right? Right. No. Um, or, or have some other thing that you physically can't change. But it, what it does allow us to do is to have a greater level of empathy that, mm. that, that when we know what it's like to be looked at uh, with a dirty look or looked down upon um, because of the story that, people told themselves, which then of course, then we told ourselves stories about the people that were looking down at us. So we were no better because we were judging people who we thought were judging us. Yeah, for sure. Until until we weren't because slowly some kind of relationship on some level of getting to know each other formed, which may really be the antidote to all this division anyways. Absolutely. You know, and, and you make a good point, you know, as far as, you know, obviously I'm a, I'm a, I'm a white male in the United States. I understand fully what, you know, that means. I can intellectually understand, you know, um, uh, those that are not white males and women and other minorities, whatever, the challenges that they face, but I can't fully experience it because I've not experienced it, but I, you know, we work to, to do that, but I, I understand what it was like to be discriminated against because I was a guy with long hair, right. in, even in a, period of time in history when that was kind of the style and, and the fashion look back looking back on some of it now it looks kind of ridiculous you know it's like you look at the pictures like what why was i wearing that why did i have a string headband on that's kind of goofy but whatever but you know we, we got we got discriminated against all the time you just walk into a place and immediately were ostracized made fun of you know called every name in the book because we looked like girls you know that whole thing and that was that was a real education besides the education that we were getting in college, uh, you know, studying the things we were studying. That was really interesting and it changes you. It, like I said, it informs so much that goes with you uh, decades into the future to the current day, you know, and um, I think because of that, among other, and other things, you know, I'm a much more, Listen, we all have our moments. Let's be honest. I have my moments when I'm, my tolerance for certain things is lower than it should be or whatever, but I'm a much more tolerant person overall because of some of that stuff. And I don't want to overemphasize it, but it's true, you know, so. I'm going to transition because I think that's such a huge point and I, and I would kind of want to transition into, you know, so post-college, right? So we, you know, for, for different, you know, we, we graduate in 90 clearly you guys weren't done i was still doing the bodybuilding thing we 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 venture out to denver uh colorado the uh, you know the the foothills of denver we're trying to or the colorado mountains rocky mountains and we're trying to you know you guys are trying to make it in the band i'm trying to recreate myself out there it just happened to be you know was it 1990 was it 91 91 yeah, 91. yeah. Little did I know when we went out there or I agreed to go with you guys out there that there was a recession going on and I, you know, I, I had options to be a personal trainer, uh, working in a bar bouncing or a stripper. And the fact that I can't dance probably wasn't going to make that work very well. 
Um, Again, another little nugget there, the stripping yeah, thing. Yeah, I don't yeah. know that I remember that fully, yeah. but okay. There, there was a ton of strip bars out there, guys and gals. I just remember that. It, yeah. That's a whole other story. We don't need to get into that. But um, that going out there, what do you what do you remember about that time period? About again trying to bring the band, the the what was in college, trying to bring it now into young adult life. And, and I know that that was, uh, there were some struggles with that. What do you, what do you remember about that time period and trying to make that transition? Hmm. Well, I, I don't think I've ever been asked that or thought about it in that way. It's a great question. I remember, like you said, it was post-college, graduated from college, had a degree, great. And now I was off and the degree was, went into the back pocket and some of the guys that, you know, from college and, and, and one guy in particular had family who lived out in Colorado. That's why we ended up out there. They had a house out there. We were young guys in our early 20s. We didn't have any money, but we had a place to stay. It was a nice house in the foothills. Like you said, it was Morrison, Colorado. You could see uh, Red Rocks Amphitheater out the back of the, uh, the deck of this house. It was quite a nice um, spread for a bunch of young punks like us. But I remember going out there thinking, yeah, at the time, it w- the plan was... You know, we were going to make this band happen that we were had been in and we were re, uh, reforming how that was going to look and sound and all of that. And that was the plan. And we were going to go out there. And ultimately for me, the plan was to make it out to LA, to California. So Denver was two thirds of the way there. So that's what I was thinking and my Greg and some of the others, but you know, you're young and you're figuring it out. And we thought this was a new beginning. I packed up a truck and towed my car out and all that. I remember being excited. I remember being scared. I remember being, you know, how is this going to work? I don't remember having any kind of job or anything set up. I ended up, you know, doing the jobs that people do when you're doing something like that. I worked as a bartender and a waiter and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, Some other things I don't remember, but I just remember doing that, but I was excited. It's like, oh, I got my whole life ahead of me here. Here we go. We're going to do this now. Got the college thing out of the way and you know, um, it, but it was challenging and it didn't like a lot of things in life, right, Kevin, it just didn't go the way that we thought it was going to go. Uh, problems happened, relationships fractured, and there were issues. And in, in my case, a lot of that stuff was fueled because of, you know, substance abuse, drinking, drugs, all that kind of stuff, which was very prevalent in my life and most everybody's lives that I knew at the time, to some degree or another. And so that's what happened. And it, kind of fell apart really within about a year of it happening. And I remember I came back to Rockford and, uh, you know, I felt lost. I felt, I don't know what I'm going to do now. This plan that I had that I was really excited about, you know, just sort of came and went and it just didn't go the way I thought. It was my first real experience with, I guess, for lack of a better word, you know, failure. It didn't go the way I thought. And I had to regroup. I had to figure out, well, what's next, you know? And so, but going out there was exciting and great memories and everything, but um, the expectation and the reality were far apart, you know? Sure, so, sure. Yeah. Well, you, you bring up something that, you know, I very much paralleled, you know, at that point, you know, um, you know, when I went out there with you guys out, out, out there, um, bodybuilding had ended for me. Um, you know, maybe about six months before that, nine months before that, um, you know, definitely because of some of the choices on my own, but the, the reason why I hung up my, uh, posing trunks weren't necessarily mine, but it, it definitely was a result of my choices. It was part of and I, and I always look back on 
for me, the, the, the lifestyle of bodybuilding, what was, was what was so dangerous and toxic for me. Um, the sport in itself probably, um, pro definitely encouraged that. And the aspirations of this is going to be how I'm going to make it, um, was all part of that story along with a, a lot of different things, but it, it definitely had to do with the lifestyle that started playing a physical toll on my body as well, definitely psychologically, um, on, on me. Um, I know, um, even though um, I was very much around you guys and involved with it, the, you know, the upside about the bodybuilding lifestyle and world for me kind of kept me out of certain aspects of the partying because I was so focused mm -hmm. and so yeah. uh, imbalanced with that. Um, not that I wasn't around. It just was that I didn't partake with everything. Um, but I know that, you know, we, you know, a lot of people that may be listening, you know, seen the, have seen documentaries um, or, or movie you know, shows that have made about, you know, the, the show about Motley Crue um, and all the different things that, you know, I think about what, you know, specifically Nikki Six did when he, when he put that, that film together um, in telling his story about what the lifestyle was like. And in that, that, that wasn't made into other movies with the same type of thing. Mm -hmm. How, how, how do you think, as you look back on it, how was the, 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 the rock lifestyle, the, the, the yearning and the long and the ambition to make it, but then the lifestyle, how did that start paying a toll post, not only during when you were out in, in Colorado, but then maybe coming back, how did that all play a toll? And, and obviously, as we know, or as I know, maybe not the audience, but uh, the listeners, I know that there was a bottom too. So why don't you tell yeah. us a little bit about that story? Yeah. Um, well, I'll try to condense the, you know, basically a, a decade there into this. It, it, uh, it, it did take a toll. The whole you know, music was pure to me when I was a kid, as I was talking earlier, and I loved it and I wanted to be a part of it and I wanted to create it. And I, and I loved all of it that went along with it. And I participated in all of the, the you know, the sex drugs and the rock and roll and all the things. And then, you know, we, we went to Colorado and that whole thing just didn't go the way that I came back to Rockford in 1992. And I thought, well, okay, I got to reinvent myself. I got to figure this out. I still had every intention to continue playing music and all of that. And I was still going to do it, just had to do it differently. And, you know, what happened to me was, Kevin, is that I, uh, what I understand now is, is that, you know, the, the lifestyle, like you alluded to with, with the bodybuilding, the lifestyle of the rock and roll and the partying, it, 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 it caught up with me, you know, for lack of a better word. And it took years for that to happen, but, but, it, but it caught up with me. You know, I, I talk about on my show, you know, I heard somebody say a long time ago, there's like three stages of partying, you know, all fun stage one, stage two, fun with consequences, and then stage three, all consequences. And it was all kinds of theories, but that's just such an easy way to, to, to sum it up. And that's kind of what it was for me. By the time I got back from Colorado in the early 90s, early into the mid 90s, I started into that phase two of that model. I was with fun with consequences. I started experiencing consequences. And the, the first of which really, if I look back on it, was the falling out that I mentioned from in Colorado with, 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 with one person in particular and how that just all devolved into a big mess. And we, we 
we weren't friends anymore for many, many years, and then I moved back. That was the beginning of the consequences. And so moving through the 90s and everything, you know, like a lot of people, um, your life changes, you're getting older, you're starting into your your jobs that aren't just, you know, part-time side gigs, you're starting into a career path of some sort, at least you hope you are. And for me, then that turned into, you know, getting married, having a kid and, and all of that kind of stuff. Life changed a lot, but what didn't change for me, despite all of that life stuff happening was the, the drinking mostly for me. It was mostly, for me, it was mostly drinking. I, I wasn't a big, um, other type of drug user per se. I experimented and recreational with a lot of different things, but it was always the drinking. That was just something that for whatever reason, that's what worked for me. And when I say worked for me, what I mean by that now, I understand now is that it just made me feel more comfortable in my own skin. What I didn't understand is why don't I feel comfortable in my own skin in the first place? I learned that later. Uh, as to why that was, but through the nineties and everything, it was just, life was going on and it was just, you know, normal for me, everybody that I knew and most everybody that I was friends with and associated with, this is what you did. You know, you drank and you did this, you went to bars and on the weekends and holidays and it was all that. And I'm not suggesting you can't do that. There's a lot of people that can uh, drink normally. And, and I found out that I wasn't one of them. <laughs> um, it was always excessive and it, and it got, and I couldn't understand it. I never understood it um, for a long, long time. And I just thought, well, this is just the way it is. And that, and that sort of a thing. And so life went on and my consequences got higher and uh, more significant to the point where, you know, for me, it came down to in, uh, a divorce happened for me um, four years after I got married. So now I was a single parent. Uh, coincidentally, at the time of that all happening, divorcing and all that, my career started to take off in terms of what I was doing and the money I was making and all this kind of stuff. So it was this weird dichotomy there. And I was just confused. And the way that I placated those feelings and those conflicting things was more drinking. We get into the early 2000s and you talk about the bottom. And for me, oh, by that time too, in the late 90s, I'd gotten out of music. I stopped playing in bands when I got married and everything. I was doing the right thing, the responsible thing. And I abandoned this thing that I loved. And I was resentful about that. But uh, into the late 90s, I reformed a band. I got back into a, a band. I started playing again. And that was fun and exciting. And that still exists in various ways to this day, uh, which I'm glad about. But getting into the early 2000s, just it was all consequences for me, as I was saying, stage three of that. And it was every time anything that ever bad, any, any bad things that ever happened to me, any bad consequences that happened, always there was drinking involved. And I started to look at that. And I tried all these different things. And I had moments where I quit for a period of time. And I had some you know, sobriety time, but I was mostly doing that at that time, Kevin, to prove a point to the people that were on my case about it. I had people in my life, you need to, you need to cut down, you need to stop, you need to this and that and the other thing. And they were just, eh, you know, Charlie Brown's parents in my ear, it was annoying. And I wasn't ready. I'm still in denial about it. Like, not a problem. I just, you know, I just overdo it a little bit sometimes, you know, it was my, was my thing. The band was going, the band got successful uh, in, in, in back in Rockford and in the Midwest in, in general. Uh, we recorded an album, we were playing all the time, we did all this stuff. And I was, again, it was like the 80s all over again. I was living this lifestyle, only it was a, it was a decade later. 
and the drinking back then was here and then then it it went up there you know and it got to the point where i just had enough and i was physically my body was physically uh breaking down I, i i i could you know just getting sick all the time and just things were coming out of me that shouldn't have been <laughs> and, and not to be gross, but these are facts. And uh, I just got to the point where, you know, I, I had to do something different. So all I knew my story is, and I, uh, I know everyone can have different paths on how they go about this, this recovery thing. But for me, um, all I knew to do was go to an AA meeting because at the time this was the early, early days of the internet. And that's all I knew to do. So I literally, Kevin got into the phone book one night, in uh, late 2002, I remember I came home, I was really drunk and I got into the phone book and I looked up uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and I wrote down a number and I just put it on the side of my bed. And then two months went by, more what Steven Tyler calls days of night. And that's what it was for me. It was, it was days of night and it was bad. <laughs> I don't remember a lot of it, quite frankly. And um, finally got to the point where I Two months later, I pulled out that number and I, and I called and I found out where there was some meetings in Rockford. And uh, I went to the first one um, on um, December 17th, 2002. I went to my first meeting. And for me, what I heard in that first meeting, the things that other people were saying, again, the, the criticisms of 12-step or not, people that are pro or, or, or con on that. I, I understand all that. I'm knowledgeable about that today way more than I ever was. But for me at that time, what I heard in that room from those people, they spoke about this subject of drinking and consequences in ways that I'd never heard anyone talk about before. Not like that. And I just knew instantly that I was in the right place and that for the first time in years, years and years, I felt a glimmer of hope that maybe, just maybe, I could do some of these things that these people said that they did, which I didn't fully believe, by the way. <laughs> I couldn't believe that, you know, but I thought, well, I'm going to, you know, and so I just thought, I'll come back tomorrow. And, and I did that. And then, I, and then and that turned into a decade of, 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 of uh, consistent 12-step attendance for me. And it worked for me. Unfortunately for me, I haven't had to drink or go back to that lifestyle ever since that time. And I give a lot of the credit uh, uh, for that to the fellowship and what I learned in there. Because what they taught me was way more than just not drinking. Because so I, thought, I thought you're going to go to a, a meeting and you're going to go to the AA and you're going to be miserable. You're going to be angry at the world and you're going to be, and you're just going to muddle through the rest of your life, drinking bad coffee. And maybe if you smoke cigarettes, you would do that or whatever. And you would just, it was better than the other way, but it wasn't going to be very good. That's what I thought. And I couldn't have been more wrong about that. Not only did it, that wasn't that it wasn't about, I learned that it wasn't about stopping anything, but for me, recovery was about starting. It was beginning again in, 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 in being like shot into a new life that I didn't have any idea really could exist minus alcohol and drugs and all that stuff. And that's exactly what happened. But in order for that to happen for me, Kevin, I had to, do the work to understand, like I said a few minutes ago, get back to the beginning and why does this stuff here, when I take it into my body, make me feel different to such a degree that I like it so much better that I would willingly choose to do it and 
escalating quantities over a 20 year period of time to cause me all this pain and suffering. What's going on with me first way back before I ever took that first sip. And that's what I learned in, in, in 12 step groups. And I had no idea, none that I was going to learn that. And probably the greatest gift uh, I think I've ever gotten is, was that. And the people that were there uh, for me when I needed to hear from people that way. And so I know it's a long answer, but that's what happened. You know, life changed and all these things. And I used to blame it on this, that, and the other thing, all these external factors. And when it came right back down to it, what I ultimately learned was it began and ended with, with me and the choices that I made. And I understand that some of us get dealt different hands. We get dealt different cards that can in significantly influence if someone is a substance abuser or not or, or whatever. There, you know, there's genetic things and all this stuff that we can talk about this way. But it came down to, regardless of the hand I got dealt, I still had choices to make every day in every way, moment to moment. And what am I going to choose? And I still have those choices right here, right now. What will I do? And life has been very hard for all of us for the last two months and some way worse than others. And, um, you know, I fear, <clears throat> I think about this a lot. I fear that a lot of people maybe have, you know, suffered and maybe backslid into habits to try to cope, you know, with the stress of it all and all of that. And I'm sure you encounter a lot of that in your work and whatnot to some degree, but, and I feel for that, but, um, you know, the bottom had to happen for me and, and I had to, I had to resolve to have the courage to, do something different. And I talk about that a lot in all my work. Do something different. Petrified, scared. Kevin, I, 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 I work in media. I speak. I do all these things that put me on places where a lot of people are like, oh, that's got to be so frightening and terrifying to do all that stuff that you do in front of all these people. And what if you, what if you got something on your face? And what if you stay something, say something stupid? And what if they don't like you? Yeah. What if they don't? Sometimes they don't, right? I mean, that's just the way it goes. But here's the deal. Nothing nothing was more terrifying for me. Nothing then or since was more terrifying than the first day that I walked into one of those meetings. I was absolutely petrified. Nothing comes close to it for me. Why? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but nothing after, nothing I do today is even comes close to it. And I knew somehow that, that was a, there was a reason for that. I knew that my fear there was a reason and that, that, was, that was why I had to keep going because there was something on the other side of it that I didn't fully know. That's why I was so scared. And that was the only thing that was pushing me along. And, you know, we all have spiritual, whatever you want to say, if something was pushing me along to say, just do this and more will be revealed, as they say in, 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 in those meetings, more will be revealed, trust the process, take it a day at a time. Uh, all those cliches that I used to loathe, now I love because they're true, every one of them. You know, that, that, that the aspect of what you were just talking about, to be on, the, on the, the brink of that chasm of what your normal was, and, and clearly you knew you had stayed too long, Clearly, you knew that it wasn't working anymore. But like myself, my fear of doing something different was terrifying. But recognizing, crossing that threshold, going into that meeting, sitting down in the meeting, right? Crossing that threshold meant you just went over that, 
that chasm into the initiation phase of what we what we call the the space that sacred space where we're going to start doing that transformational work right and and so of course you know it's the reason why i want to talk why i talk about that part is because some people think that that feeling that you were just describing is that oh i must be in the wrong place yeah. nope it means you're in the right place yeah if you weren't scared shitless it <laughs> meant it meant that you were doing something you were familiar with which mm -hmm. that should scare you shitless mm -hmm. because our familiar was the problem <laughs> we, yeah you know and and i needed yeah. you needed we needed to be in a situation where nothing was working anymore and i had to be open to learning how to do this different and the price was big yeah you absolutely and you're right that being scared that way yeah, you put it in a different way, but yeah, that's exactly what it was. I just knew. And, but there was a huge cost to that. You know, I was scared for a lot of reasons. And some of the things that I was afraid of actually happened, like I'm going to lose friends. Mm -hmm. I did. Yeah. Or at least I did for a period of time, uh, temporarily. And then, you know, uh, some of my bandmates, for example, I was talking about my band. I was in the band. I was at the height of my band's popularity. And I told them, uh, I, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to AA and I'm, quitting drinking was what I said. And it's all I knew to say. I don't say it like that anymore because it's not just that, like I mentioned earlier, but they, oh, okay. You know, and six months after going uh, into that first meeting, I made one of the hardest decisions I ever made again was I left the band. I chose to leave the band that I founded and formed s nearly seven years earlier the height of its popularity, at least in the Midwest where we were from. And that was a huge price to pay. But the reason I, I, we played in bars and I, at that time, especially, I couldn't justify and rationalize and reconcile. How can I be in bars all every weekend playing gigs around all this, as you said, the familiar, I wasn't in the place. I wasn't strong enough. I didn't understand enough yet. I hadn't been not enough time had passed. Like, I couldn't do it. And so I had to make the tough call because a guy, uh, a friend, still a friend today in the meetings, he, he was a music lover, a guy named Bob, love Bob. He, he said to me, he asked me one time after a meeting, came up to me and he said, I tell this story a lot, but it's so important. He said, hey, uh, you still playing in that band? It was like six months in, in AA. I was doing well, making progress, but he's like, you still playing in the band? I said, I said, oh yeah, uh-huh, yeah. He's like, huh, and he goes, good luck with that. And he walked away. <laughs> I, was, I was, I was stunned. I was floored. I was mad. I was like, really good luck. What do you mean? Good luck with that. I was livid. I, I left there. I was in a huff. I was like thinking about, but I was thinking about it for, for a day, two days and three days. I don't know how long it was. Long story short, you know where I'm going with this. He planted that seed and he, I knew what he was saying. He was saying, Tom, if you stay in that situation, the likelihood, the odds of you maintaining this new sobriety that you claim to really want and need, your odds are going to go you know, way down. You know? uh, and he was right. And it wasn't long after that I made the tough decision and I left that, and I left that situation. And I don't think I would have ever made it if I hadn't. I, I, I know I wouldn't have. Not me. Maybe other people would have, but I wouldn't have. And so that began a, a bunch of years of, you know, I, I, you know, I avoided those kinds of things. It was just the way that it had to be for me. I found new things to do. I found new friends, new places to go. And to my surprise, Kevin, there was a whole nother world out there 
uh, of life that I had no idea existed. You mean you can have fun <laughs> on the weekends and on holidays without being bombed out of your mind? That's possible? I mean, I'm saying this sarcastically, obviously, but I didn't think that was possible. Sure. And I've talked to so many people that I've worked with in recovery since then, when they're newer into it, especially, they don't think it's possible. It's normal to think that, I guess. And, and I'm like, no, but it is. And so I had to, I just had to go through it and experience it myself. And not only is it great and fun, it's better, way better. So if, I, if nobody hears anything else that I'm saying the rest of this time before now, hear, hear this. Uh, if you're stuck somewhere, whatever it is, whatever, you know, I call them the AVDCs, the addictions, vices, devices, distractions, or compulsions that ail you or someone you know. Um, if you're stuck in any of that, any, anything like that or multiple things that way, and you can't see a life beyond it, you think it's going to be less than what you have now, I'm here to tell you that's not true. It's not. But it, you can't snap a finger necessarily and have it change. You got to go through it. You got to give it a chance. You got to let it breathe, as I say. And I promise you, if you do and you surround yourself with the right people that works for you, there is another life and it's a better one. And today I'm happy to report that a couple of the guys that I played in the band with then and still now are on a similar journey now. Mm. And it's not because of me. It's because of their own story and their own journey. But uh, what a gift that is. Mm -hmm. So now get to play in the same rock and roll band, but without all that junk. What? <laughs> it's amazing. It's wonderful. Sure. Well, you know, it's a, you know, there's a, there's this, you know, band that, you know, try to, you know, try to work hard to try to make it, you know, that has a similar story, at least from what I understood from what I've read. I think they're called Corn um, and Brian Welsh. Brian story, Head Welch. Right? You know, he, same kind of situation, right? At, at the, had to stop. He had to stop doing meth. He had to stop drinking because it was killing him and he was going to lose his daughter. Um, and, and and he, he tried to do the sober thing when he was in corn. And then at some point he had to make that tough decision that, um, that he had to let go of, of let go of corn at the peak of when they were at the top of the game. Now I know later he went, you know, circumstances changed or in whatever. And I don't, and I don't know all the behind the scenes or I just know what I've been, I've read or I've told. Um, but I, I think you make a great point there. There is a distinct difference um, between someone um, stopping using substance, alcohol, whatever it is, and getting sober. There's a distinct difference between somebody being sober and someone being in recovery or transforming, right? We, we talk about it in the counseling world is that people come in for counseling because they want to feel different. Yeah. Okay. There's absolutely. That's great. Yeah. I want to feel different. I feel crappy. I feel anxious, I feel depressed. I want to feel different. We're going to, we're going to do counseling. But when you want to be different, that's the transformational work that we do in therapy. That's the transformational work that we do in recovery versus just getting sober to avoid some more consequences. And, and, and that's not easy work because like you said, you know, you, we got to go back into the stuff that, was going on before we ever took the first drink, before we ever started the lifestyle. The stuff that we all, me for sure, wanted to avoid in the first place. Right. I wanted to avoid it and drinking for me helped me to 
dull that, to dilute that, to push that away. At least that's what happened to me. And, but I had to go, yeah, I had to go back to those things and look at those things. And really quick, you mentioned uh, Brian Welch, Brian Head Welch from Corn. Uh, I interviewed him for, on my Sound Matters show, and we talked a little bit about this. We didn't get into it in, super in depth because I had some time constraints with him, but yeah, we alluded to that. And uh, he said, was saying the same kinds of things. That's right. You had to go back and look at those, those things, those, those, those pain points that for whatever reason, whether they were brought on by ourselves, by choices we made, or they were just cards, like I was saying, or cards that we were dealt in one way, shape or form, family or genetics or combination of a bunch of whatever. And, and so you know, it was, it was a huge thing. And he revealed a lot of that. Yeah. And then he ended up returning to the band and still with him to this day, but he had to take that break. And he, in his case, I mean, he, he sacrificed millions and millions and millions of dollars to do that. He paid a, a higher price than a lot of people ever would or could uh, because of the level of the success of that band past and present. But, um, but you're right. The, the going back and, and to look at that stuff, that's the hard work. And that's the part, Kevin, that I found and I find still that is the big barrier for people to push through this thing. I think a lot of people know, I, I know this is an area and I know, but the answer is not one that, that they want. Like you say, go to counseling to feel different, to feel better. And being sober and being in recover, recovery, those are different things. 100% agree with yeah. you on that. The emotional sobriety uh, as to understanding, well, why? And the heightened self-awareness of why did I do? People say, how do you not drink anymore? And the answer, and they say, don't you, don't you think about it sometimes? Wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be nice to have a, a beer or a, or a drink on a hot summer day? Yeah, of course. Um, but here's the thing. Today, I understand much better why I did. And I also understand what happens when I do, which is not for the same for everyone. And when I understand the why I did in the first place, and then the tools that I've been learning and still learning, it's, by the way, it's not over. I'm not done. This is a daily thing for me. I have to, it's a different kind of work than it was say in 2003 than it is in, in 2020, but it's still a thing that I have to do. But when I understand the why and my awareness of, of those things has changed, the, the, the allure, the attraction to it, it totally changes. When? I don't know. It's different for everyone probably. And again, whether you're, I think whether we're talking alcohol or shopping, I don't know, whatever anyone's hung up on. I think it's the same kind of a process. It's getting into that and doing that inner work that's really hard to do and a lot of people don't want to do, but it's oh so necessary. And it's, it's one of those things, I say this a lot too, Kevin, easy to say, hard to do. Yep. Easy to say, easy to talk about, but hard to do, hard to put into application, but no less necessary and, and so uh, important. And important for who? Not for the people that were on my case back then, not for all the people that I was initially trying to placate when I was quitting for temporary periods of time, but for me, selfishly for me, because my life got better. Perfect? Nope. Make mistakes after sobriety? Yep. Lots? Yep. Hard things? Tough things? Yeah. But different because I didn't also have this monkey on my back also in the mix. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you said something and I'm going to, 
you're willing to jump there, I'm going to go a little bit deeper dive into this, okay? Because that's where I think I think it's kind of important because I think we got some listeners that want to hear, you know, want to hear what's behind the scene type of thing, right? And so, you know, I, I think, you know, there's a physical part, right? We got to physically do something different. You know, for you, it was it was refraining from mood altering chemicals, right? For for because they took on a life of its own. For me, it was the whole it it, it wasn't lifting weights. It was the lifestyle, you know, everything from the anabolic steroids to the amphetamines to the different things that went along with that, because everything was about enhancement of performance, everything that went along with it. But when I started doing the work tracking back of what was that, what was behind all that, right? And, and it took time, had to get past the anger, had to get past, there was a lot of stuff I had to get beyond. And the weird thing about the anger part was that I never considered myself an angry guy, but it was mostly because I was probably suppressing that anger because I didn't want to be an angry guy, right? So I would be, oh, I'm, I'm okay. That was a whole different issue. I had to learn how to feel. Mm-hmm. because I knew how to do, I just didn't know how to feel. Um, so that was an element, but there was this element that came about not wanting to be invisible, mm-hmm. not wanting. So, so there was an element of not wanting to be invisible because I had a taste of what it was like to be visible. Right. And once I had a taste of what it was like to be seen or be visible, ironically, I don't know if I was actually seen. Um, people just saw me. I don't know if I was actually seen, you know, like people really knew who I was cause I was performing, but that became the driving force to do some crazy disciplining, you know, pushing my body to crazy limits, doing different things like that. And as well as mentally, um, and I borderline have to be careful today with that same thing because it doesn't go away, mm-hmm. right? Now it's not bodybuilding, but well, work can do the same thing. Absolutely. You can easily go into a workaholism thing, easily go into, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, when you're a business owner, there's never, you're never done, right? I mean, so that's, oh, wow, that reminds me of, <laughs> looks similar to, smells similar to. It does. So, so when, when, so I throw that out kind of like, just to give you an example, when you think about what was that, if there was a why, right, that you've identified, if there was one dragon that you had to face, and I know there's multitudes, right? Just as I was just mentioned, there's a lot of different dragons that we have to face. If there was a a core dragon or theme that you had to face, and now you know, it's something that you got to keep in front of you. What, what would you, what would you say? Hmm. Well, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, probably, you know, it's somewhat similar to what you said. You talk, you said the word invisible, by the way, you know, I just to throw this out, shameless plug, you know, the conversation you and I had, what, a couple of years ago, you're on my recovery collective podcast. I think it was episode five Yeah. and goes and searches recovery collective. There's a conversation that you and I had about more specifically about your story that way. And it was a good conversation. And, uh, love for anyone to go check that out. But um, the thing for me was probably, you know, I, I, I came from, I came from a divorced family uh, when I was a little kid. So mom and dad were not together uh, from the time I was two on. So if you would have asked me when I was a, a young guy in my, you know, late teens and twenties and thirties or whatever, I would have said, that doesn't have anything to do with it. 
But looking back on it, I, I think that was a part of it. You know, finding my identity, who am I, my relationship with my dad, uh, you know, um, being seen by him and achieving whatever I thought would be to get that recognition uh, and, and encouragement and support and validation. For me, it's probably those kinds of things, you know, real generally that was for me. And, and also for me, I was, I've always been a person, well, like I said earlier, I, I've always had lofty ambitions, uh, wanted to create things and do things to whatever level. It's never been about money or, or fame or anything like that. It's been more about just making a contribution that matters to somebody else. And I've always wanted to do that in, in various ways I, I have. But I think when I was younger and using alcohol a lot and other drugs, I was the guy, I was the woulda, coulda, shoulda guy. I, was I would always talk about, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But maybe the, fe the fear of that, the, uh, the, the anxiety of that, the, the daunting nature of that's a lot of work to do that. How in the hell am I going to do all that? I would just talk about it and I would be you know, drinking, telling everybody what I was going to do. And I never really did a whole lot of any of it. I mean, I worked, I did my things, but you know, it wasn't until after I got on the other side of that and I started to really in earnest since 2002, all the things that I do today. But I think I was running from that kind of stuff, you know, approval from my, my parents, maybe my dad in particular, stuff like that, which is I know is a common thing, you know, for a lot of people. I just didn't know who I was mm -hmm. um, as, a, as, a, as a young boy, as a, as a guy, as a man eventually, you know, so always figuring that out. And for me, that, 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 that struggle uh, was, was dulled and, and muted. Uh, with alcohol. It helped me feel less of that existential crisis. I don't know, whatever you want to call it, you know. And so I, I had to keep that in front of me. And even to this day, like you said a minute ago, you know, I can be a great worker uh, and I'm never done. There's no, it's not nine to five Monday through Friday for me. It's not, it's never, it hasn't been. And, and so that's something I gotta, I gotta be careful about that, you know, and I, and I have to watch that because you know, I can substitute the working and the achievement of the things that are important to me the, the, that I love to do and that I think add value. But if I lose myself in the process, it, like you said a minute ago, it looks very similar to the, the alcohol, you know, and, and, and why I used it for that. I'm, I'm using just something else to, again, change my feeling state because that's really what it comes down to, feeling states. Yep. I, I, when I don't feel good for whatever reason internally, I want to do something to feel different. So I do this or use that or take this in or whatever it might be. And we all do that to a certain degree. And I think for me, it's just this ongoing maintenance of where am I right now? What's going on with me? And, and doing the self-reflection. For some people, it's praying. For some people, it's meditating. For some people, it's the outdoors. For some people, it's painting or music, whatever it is, you know, but coming back to center and going, okay, what's going on with me? And hopefully having the tools and the um, honesty and the courage, quite frankly, to own the stuff that's not working and call yourself out and have other people that you trust, counselors, good therapists, friends, spouses, whoever, family members to say, hey, man, call me on your crap right now, dude, you're off base. You know, you're, you're, you know, as like, oh, really? Okay. And you might not like it. And sometimes I don't like it still. Like I didn't like Bob saying that to me about the band. It doesn't mean he wasn't right. He was absolutely right. And I'm grateful for that.
you know? So uh, I got to keep that stuff in, in front of me because I'm not, I don't believe Kevin, I'm, it's, I'm, you know, cured per se. I don't know. It's a word that people use. Are you, is it, are you recovering? Are you recovered? Is it ING or ED? I don't know. I'll let people fight that out on the internet. All I know is, is that um, I, I don't choose to use that stuff today and I'm a work in progress. And as long as I keep doing those things and applying what I've learned before and still, um, I got a chance at this thing because I know what happens when I go, if I go back to that, I know, because I spent 20 years doing that, I know what the outcome is going to be eventually, sooner than later. What I don't know is the future this way. And for me, the last 17 and a half years, I guess at this point, I don't often say that out loud, but yeah, you know, uh, is, I had no idea what it was going to be like and how good it was going to be and challenging too, but, but good more than not. And I don't know what the next, I hope I got another 17 and a half, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's what I say to people that, uh, you know, you know, this road, you don't know this other road, right. give it a chance. So. You know, Tom, uh, we could go on for a long time and, yeah. and, and I, and, and I definitely, uh, want this particular, uh, talk today to be part one, because I know, uh, I want you to have you come back on the show if you're open, uh, for part two, because, there's a ton of stuff that you've done in this process of, of recreating yourself in the last 17 and a half years, which doesn't have a ton to do that isn't, it isn't completely different than your, your history. You know, it, actually it has a lot to do with it, but not in a, in a shaming, Oh, that was bad. Don't, you know, you know, ostracizing it, stigmatizing all that. It's actually, as you said earlier, grown from, grown as a result from it and then appreciating all those things. So uh, yeah. I'd love to have you back on and we, you know, do a part two of, of what it's like to be uh, a master's level degree, uh, you know, teacher, uh, speaker, lately actor, um, photographer, you know, all these different things that you're, you're, you're doing. Um, but one of the things I, I ask people at the end, um, especially with some of the powerful things you talked about today. If there was one thing that you wanted the listeners to leave with, what would be one thing you would leave with them, uh, want them to leave with right now uh, until they hear from you again? <laughs> one thing. Um, I probably said it previously to some extent, but it's basically this. Whether a person is in the throes of some active addiction at extreme levels of any sort, of any type or not, or they're not and they're just a regular person you know that's struggling to get through the day to day for whatever reason whether in the midst of a global pandemic or not or just their job or their financial situation or their relationships their kids whatever it might be we all have stuff we always will have stuff whatever it is what i'd what i'd want to really encourage someone to say is is that wherever you're at it's not the end even though we know what it feels like it is, or it could be. It's not the end. doesn't mean it's easy, but it's not the end. And you're just, again, you're just one decision away from a whole new life. And I say that, again, sounds easy, but it's hard to do, but you're literally one decision away. If you want a new career path, you can have it. If you want to stop using this or that or the other thing or change your lifestyle patterns in this way, you can. 
it's work. It takes time. You need other people. You can't do it alone or you shouldn't anyway. I mean, maybe some people can, but I would advise against it because isolating is a great technique to avoid really being honest with yourself and stuff like that or getting called out on things, having that accountability. So my thing is, is just wherever you're at, if someone's listening, you think it's the end or close to the end or it's hopeless. It's not, it's not, it absolutely is not. Uh, reach out to somebody, ask for help, have that courage. I tell people this, asking for help and saying, you know what, I, I think I'm, I've been beaten down. Maybe I've been beaten. Asking for help and owning that is actually the, the biggest sign of strength that someone can demonstrate, whereas it seems that it's counterintuitive. I was always afraid that if i asking for help and admitting that I was at a low point or defeated, that that was weakness. It's the opposite. It's strength. Most people don't do that. Most people don't ask for help. They isolate. They just keep it on the down low and they keep going. They put the smile on and it comes up in all kinds of other negative, destructive ways, as, as you well know, to the ultimate ways, which is people taking their own life or, or any other number of things. And so if you think you're at the end, you're not. You're a decision away from a whole new life that honestly, honestly, honestly can be so much better. Uh, reach out to me, reach out to you, reach out to anyone and um, begin today. It can, it can be done. It can be done. You know, Tom, I think that's a great way for us to close um, that this idea that uh, uh, a strength that we would never know comes from that sense of vulnerability. Uh, to be vulnerable comes a strength that is um, immeasurable. Hmm. Tom, uh, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to, for them to get a hold of you? Um, if they want to either hear about your program on Sound Matters or, or tune into the other projects you're doing, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you or, or follow what you're doing? Yeah, I'm just going to throw out, I've got a lot of websites, but uh, my name, uh, TomLu.com, T-O-M-L-E-U. Sounds like I have two first names, but... Uh, <laughs> T-O-M-L-E-U.com. That's my main hub website. And on that site is our links to everything else that I do. And so that'd be a great place to start. I got an email list like a lot of people and for people to keep in touch with me and uh, things that I'm doing now and going forward, workshops and coaching, different things like that. It's all starts there. So TomLu.com is a great place. And then I'm just at TomLu, T-O-M-L-E-U on all the social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, wherever someone is uh, that's where I'm at so yeah I appreciate you connecting with me that way so Kevin thanks so much for having me on here let me uh, talk about this and great questions and every time you and I talk I learn more about you and me and our relationship and our history which goes back so so far it's it's wonderful I love it and I would love to come back for a part two anytime perfect Tom you uh, be safe and have fun down in Florida and continue doing the great work you're doing um, by far you are a light in in the dark things in the world so uh, I appreciate you thank you All Kevin right. I appreciate you too thanks buddy. All right. talk to you later all right